Section 18 of the Colonel's Dream. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut. Section 18, Chapter 18. Once started in his career of active benevolence, the colonel's natural love of thoroughness, combined with a philanthropic zeal as pleasant as it was novel, sought out new reforms. They were easily found. He had begun with wise foresight at the foundations of prosperity by planning an industry in which the people could find employment. But there were subtler needs, mental and spiritual, to be met. Education, for instance, so important to real development, languished in clarendon there was a select private school for young ladies attended by the daughters of those who could not send their children away to school a few of the town boys went away to military schools the remainder of the white youth attended the academy which was a thoroughly democratic institution deriving its support partly from the public school fund and partly from private subscriptions there was a colored public school taught by a negro teacher Neither school had, so far as the colonel could learn, attained any very high degree of efficiency. At one time the colonel had contemplated building a schoolhouse for the children of the mill hands, but upon second thought decided that the expenditure would be more widely useful if made through the channels already established. If the old academy building were repaired and a wing constructed, for which there was ample room upon the grounds, it would furnish any needed additional accommodation for the children of the operatives and avoid the drawing of any line that might seem to put these in a class apart there were already lines enough in the town the deep and distinct color line theoretically all-pervasive but with occasional curious exceptions the old line between the rich white folks or aristocrats no longer rich most of them but retaining some of their former wealth and clinging tenaciously to a waning prestige and the poor whites still at a social disadvantage but gradually evolving a solid middle class with reinforcements from the decaying aristocracy and producing now and then some ambitious and successful man like fetters to emphasize these distinctions was no part of the colonel's plan to eradicate them entirely in any stated time was of course impossible human nature being what it was but he would do nothing to accentuate them. His mill-hands should become, like the mill-hands in New England towns, an intelligent, self-respecting, and therefore respected element of an enlightened population, and the whole town should share equally in anything he might spend for their benefit. He found much pleasure in talking over these fine plans of his with Laura Treadwell. Caxton had entered into them with the enthusiasm of an impressionable young man, brought into close contact with a forceful personality but in miss laura the colonel found a sympathy that was more than intellectual that reached down to sources of spiritual strength and inspiration which the colonel could not touch but of which he was conscious and of which he did not hesitate to avail himself at second hand little phil had made the house almost a second home and the frequent visits of his father had only strengthened the colonel's admiration of laura's character he had learned not from the lady herself how active in good works she was a lady bountiful in any large sense she could not be 
for her means, as she had so frankly said upon his first visit, were small. But a little went a long way among the poor of Clarendon, and the life, after all, is more than meat, and the body more than raiment, and advice and sympathy were as often needed as other kinds of help. He had offered to assist her charities in a substantial way, and she had permitted it now and then, but had felt obliged at last to cease mentioning them altogether. He was able to circumvent this delicacy now and then through the agency of Graciela, whose theory was that money was made to spend. Laura, he said one evening when at the house, will you go with me tomorrow to visit the academy? I wish to see with your eyes as well as mine what it needs and what can be done with it. It shall be our secret until we are ready to surprise the town. They went next morning without notice to the principal. The school was well ordered, but the equipment was poor. The building was old and sadly in need of repair. The teacher was an ex-Confederate officer, past middle life, well taught by the methods in vogue fifty years before, but scarcely in harmony with modern ideals of education. In spite of his perfect manners and unimpeachable character, the professor, as he was called, was generally understood to hold his position more by virtue of his need and his influence than of his fitness to instruct. He had several young lady assistants who found in teaching the only career open in Clarendon to white women of good family. The recess hour arrived while they were still at school. When the pupils marched out in orderly array, the colonel, seizing a moment when Miss Treadwell and the professor were speaking about some of the children whom the colonel did not know, went to the rear of one of the schoolrooms and found, without much difficulty, high up on one of the walls, the faint but still distinguishable outline of a pencil caricature he had made there thirty years before. If the wall had been whitewashed in the meantime, the lime had scaled down to the original plaster. Only the name which had been written underneath was illegible, though he could reconstruct with his mind's eye and the aid of a few shadowy strokes, Bill Fetter's sneak, in angular letters in the printed form. The colonel smiled at this survival of youthful bigotry. Yet even then his instinct had been a healthy one. His boyish characterization of Fetter's schoolboy was not an inapt description of Fetter's man, mortgage shark, labor contractor, and political boss. Bill, seeking official favor, had reported to the professor of that date some boyish escapade in which his schoolfellows had taken part and it was in revenge for this meanness that the colonel had chased him ignominiously down Main Street and pilloried him upon the schoolhouse wall. Fetters the man, a Goliath whom no David had yet opposed, had fastened himself upon a weak and disorganized community during a period of great distress, and had succeeded by devious ways in making himself its master. And as the colonel stood looking at the picture, he was conscious of a faint echo of his boyish indignation and sense of outraged honor. Already Fetters and he had clashed upon the subject of the cotton mill, and Fetters had retired from the field. If it were written that they should meet in a life-and-death struggle for the soul of Clarendon, he would not shirk the conflict. "'Laura,' he said, when they went away, "'I should like to visit the colored school.' Will you come with me? 
she hesitated and he could see with half an eye that her answer was dictated by a fine courage why certainly i will go why not it is a place where a good work is carried on no laura said the colonel smiling you need not go on second thought i should prefer to go alone she insisted but he was firm he had no desire to go counter to her instincts or induce her to do anything that might provoke adverse comment miss laura had all the fine glow of courage but was secretly relieved at being excused from a trip so unconventional so the colonel found his way alone to the schoolhouse an unpainted frame structure in a barren sandy lot upon a street somewhat removed from the center of the town and given over mainly to the humble homes of negroes that his unannounced appearance created some embarrassment was quite evident but his friendliness toward the negroes had already been noised abroad and he was welcomed with warmth not to say effusion by the principal of the school a tall stalwart and dark man with an intelligent expression a deferential manner and shrewd but guarded eyes the eyes of the jungle the colonel had heard them called and the thought came to him was it some ancestral jungle on the distant coast of savage africa or the wilderness of another sort in which the black people had wandered and were wandering still in free america the attendance was not large at a glance the colonel saw that there were but twenty-five pupils present what is your total enrollment he asked the teacher well sir was the reply we have seventy-five or eighty in the roll but it threatened rain this morning and as a great many of them haven't got good shoes they stayed at home for fear of getting their feet wet the colonel had often noticed the black children paddling around barefoot in the puddles on rainy days but there was evidently some point of etiquette connected with attending school barefoot he had passed more than twenty-five children on the streets on his way to the schoolhouse the building was even worse than that of the academy and the equipment poorer still upon the colonel asking to hear a recitation the teacher made some excuse and shrewdly requested him to make a few remarks they could recite he said at any time but an opportunity to hear colonel french was a privilege not to be neglected the colonel consenting good-humouredly was introduced to the school in very flowery language the pupils were sitting the teacher informed them in the shadow of a great man a distinguished member of the grand old aristocracy of their grand old native state had gone to the great north and grown rich and famous he had returned to his old home to scatter his vast wealth where it was most needed and to give his fellow townsmen an opportunity to add their applause to his world-wide fame he was present to express his sympathy with their feeble efforts to rise in the world and he wanted the scholars all to listen with the most respectful attention colonel french made a few simple remarks in which he spoke of the advantages of education as a means of forming character and of fitting boys and girls for the work of men and women in former years his people had been charged with direct responsibility for the care of many colored children and in a larger and indirect way they were still responsible for their descendants he urged them to make the best of their opportunities and try to fit themselves for useful citizenship they would meet with the difficulties that all men must and with some peculiarly their own but they must look up and not down 
forward and not back, seeking always incentives to hope rather than excuses for failure. Before leaving, he arranged with the teacher, whose name was Taylor, to meet several of the leading colored men with whom he wished to discuss some method of improving their school and directing their education to more definite ends. The meeting was subsequently held. What your people need, said the colonel, to the little gathering at the schoolhouse one evening, is to learn not only how to read and write and think, but to do these things to some definite end. We live in an age of specialists. To make yourselves valuable members of society, you must learn to do well some particular thing by which you may reasonably expect to earn a comfortable living in your own home, among your neighbors, and save something for old age and the education of your children. Get together. Take advice from some of your own capable leaders in other places. Find out what you can do for yourselves, and I will give you three dollars for every one you can gather for an industrial school or some similar institution. Take your time, and when you're ready to report, come and see me, or write to me, if I am not here. The result was the setting in motion of a stagnant pool. Who can measure the force of hope? The town had been neglected by mission boards. No able or ambitious Negro had risen from its midst to found an institution and find a career. The colored school received a grudging dole from the public funds and was left entirely to the supervision of the colored people. It would have been surprising had the money always been expended to the best advantage. The fact that a white man, in some sense a local man, who had yet come from the far north, the land of plenty with feelings friendly to their advancement, had taken a personal interest in their welfare and proved it by his presence among them, gave them hope and inspiration for the future. They had long been familiar with the friendship that curbed, restricted, and restrained, and concerned itself mainly with their limitations. They were almost hysterically eager to welcome the cooperation of a friend who, in seeking to lift them up, was obsessed by no fear of pulling himself down or of narrowing in some degree the gulf that separated them, who was willing not only to help them, but to help them to a condition in which they might be in less need of help. The colonel touched the reserves of loyalty in the Negro nature, exemplified in old Peter and such as he. Who knows? Had these reserves been reached sooner by strict justice and patient kindness? that they might not long since have helped to heal the wounds of slavery. "'And now, Laura,' said the colonel, "'when we have improved the schools and educated the people, "'we must give them something to occupy their minds. "'We must have a library, a public library.' "'That will be splendid,' she replied with enthusiasm. "'A public library,' continued the colonel, "'housed in a beautiful building, in a conspicuous place.' and decorated in an artistic manner, a shrine of intellect and taste at which all the people, rich and poor, black and white, may worship. Miss Laura was silent for a moment, and thoughtful. But Henry, she said with some hesitation, do you mean that colored people should use the library? Why not? he asked. Do they not need it most? Perhaps not many of them might wish to use it, but to those who do, should we deny the opportunity? 
consider their teachers if the blind lead the blind shall they not both fall into the ditch yes henry that is the truth but i am afraid the white people wouldn't wish to handle the same books very well then we will give the colored folks a library of their own at some place convenient for their use we need not strain our ideal by going too fast where shall i build the library the vacant lot she said between the post office and the bank the very place he replied it belonged to our family once and i shall be acquiring some more ancestral property the cows will need to find a new pasture the announcement of the colonel's plan concerning the academy and the library evoked a hearty response on the part of the public and the anglo-saxon hailed it as the dawning of a new era with regard to the colonel's friendly plans for the negroes there was less enthusiasm and some difference of opinion some commended the colonel's course there were others good men and patriotic men who would have died for liberty in the abstract men who sought to walk uprightly and to live peaceably with all but who by much brooding over the conditions surrounding their life had grown hopelessly pessimistic concerning the negro the subject came up in a little company of gentlemen who were gathered around the colonel's table one evening after the coffee had been served and the havanas passed around your zeal for humanity does you infinite credit colonel french said dr mackenzie minister of the presbyterian church who was one of these prophetic souls but i fear your time and money and effort will be wasted the negroes are hopelessly degraded they have degenerated rapidly since the war how do you know doctor you came here from the north long after the war what is your standard of comparison i voice the unanimous opinion of those who have known them at both periods i don't agree with you and i lived here before the war there is certainly one smart negro in town nichols the colored barber owns five houses and overreached me in a bargain before the war he was a chattel and taylor the teacher seems to be a very sensible fellow yes said dr price who was one of the company taylor is a very intelligent negro Nichols and he have learned how to live and prosper among the white people. They are exceptions, said the preacher, who only prove the rule. No, Colonel French, for a long time I hoped that there was a future for these poor, helpless blacks. But of late I have become profoundly convinced that there is no place in this nation for the Negro except under the sod. We will not assimilate him. We cannot deport him and therefore o man of god must we exterminate him it is god's will we need not stain our hands with innocent blood if we but sit passive and leave their fate to time they will die away in discouragement and despair already disease is sapping their vitals like other weak races they will vanish from the pathway of the strong and there is no place for them to flee when they go hence it is to go forever it is the law of life which god has given to the earth to coddle them to delude them with false hopes of an unnatural equality which not all the power of the government has been able to maintain is only to increase their unhappiness to a doomed race 
ignorance is euthanasia and knowledge is but pain and sorrow it is his will that the fittest should survive and that those shall inherit the earth who are best prepared to utilize its forces and gather its fruits my dear doctor what you say may all be true but with all due respect i don't believe a word of it i am rather inclined to think that these people have a future that there is a place for them here that they have made fair progress under discouraging circumstances that they will not disappear from our midst for many generations if ever and that in the meantime as we make or mar them we shall make or mar our civilization no society can be greater or wiser or better than the average of all its elements our ancestors brought these people here and lived in luxury some of them or went into bankruptcy more of them on their labor after three hundred years of toil they might be fairly said to have earned their liberty at any rate they are here they constitute the bulk of our laboring class to teach them is to make their labor more effective and therefore more profitable to increase their needs is to increase our profits in supplying them i'll take my chances on the golden rule i am no lover of the negro as negro i do not know but i should rather see him elsewhere i think our land would have been far happier had none but white men ever set foot upon it after the red men were driven back but they are here through no fault of theirs as we are they were born here we have given them our language which they speak more or less corruptly our religion which they practice certainly no better than we and our blood which our laws make a badge of disgrace perhaps we could not do them strict justice without a great sacrifice upon our own part but they are men and they should have their chance at least some chance i shall pray for your success sighed the preacher with god all things are possible if he willed them but i can only anticipate your failure the colonel is growing so popular with his ready money and his cheerful optimism said old general thornton another of the guests that we'll have to run him for congress as soon as he is reconverted to the faith of his fathers Colonel French had more than once smiled at the assumption that a mere change of residence would alter his matured political convictions. His friends seemed to look upon them, so far as they differed from their own, as a mere veneer, which would scale off in time, as had the multiplied coats of whitewash over the pencil drawing made on the schoolhouse wall in his callow youth. You see, the old general went on, it's a social matter down here rather than a political one with this ignorant black flood sweeping up against us the race question assumes an importance which overshadows the tariff and the currency and everything else for instance i had fully made up my mind to vote the other ticket in the last election i didn't like our candidate nor our platform there was a clean-cut issue between sound money and financial repudiation and I was tired of the domination of populists and demagogues. All my better instincts led me toward a change of attitude, and I boldly proclaimed the fact. I declared my political and intellectual independence at the cost of many friends. Even my own son-in-law scarcely spoke to me for a month. When I went to the polls, old Sam Brown, the triflingest nigger in town, 
whom I had seen sentenced to jail more than once for stealing. Old Sam Brown was next to me in the line. Well, gentle, he said, I'm glad you has got on the right side at last and is going to vote our ticket. This was too much. I could stand the other party in the abstract, but not in the concrete. I voted the ticket of my neighbors and my friends. We had to preserve our institutions if our finances went to smash. Call it prejudice, call it what you like. It's human nature. And you'll come to it, Colonel. You'll come to it. And then we'll send you to Congress. I might not care to go, returned the Colonel, smiling. You could not resist, sir, the unanimous demand of a determined constituency. Upon the rare occasions when, in this state, the office has had a chance to seek the man, it has never sought in vain. End of section 18. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.